Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman and this is a Manchester City essentially podcast, but it's a football podcast if you want to call it that. So if you're a fan of another club or football in general and you've discovered us, welcome along. I hope you'll find the whole experience well worth repeating it again. We do it on a weekly basis um, as a former BBC presenter myself and now a YouTuber. Um, I am the host, but I have a couple of guests with me, often a former City player or manager, and I had hoped to have one tonight, but at the moment it doesn't look as if that's going to happen, but I still have two members of the Forever Blue team, um, and they are Toby and Andy, so we're going to discuss the Sheffield United game and look ahead to the Champions League draw, the visit of Fulham, and anything else that crops up uh, during our discussion, which will relate to City. Um, I've said this on the last uh, few podcasts that I've done this season, at the moment I still have uh, no sponsors on the podcast. So if you're uh, one of those people out there who a company, for example, who um, thinks that it might be useful to you to uh, engage in some sponsorship, some advertising effectively, which uh, which I can do on this podcast, then please reach out and contact me. I'm on twi- Twitter or X, as it's known these days, at Ian Cheeseman, and my direct messages are open, or you can find the links uh, on various other platforms as to how to contact me. So... Sheffield United today was the game, um, and I have to say, I'll I'll start by saying that um, I didn't think City were at the best today. I did a, a vlog, a YouTube vlog, uh, and some of the fans that I spoke to after the game said much the same, really, that City hadn't been really at it, um, but they found a way to get through, and certainly once Sheffield United equalised, they stepped up a gear, and suddenly it was like a swarm all over the Sheffield United defence, and they couldn't handle it. And City got the the deserved winner in the end. They'd had the opportunity earlier on through a, a penalty that Sherling Harland uh, struck the post with, unusually for him. I think he's been in the media this week as to been practising uh, taking penalties against uh, all and sundry, some celebrities and whatnot, but he couldn't do it on the day, unfortunately, on this occasion. But it didn't matter. City won and have now opened after just three games, a two-point gap up at the top of the Premier League, which is... Pretty um, worrying for the rest, albeit that City played Sheffield United, one of the hot favourites to be relegated this season, and Burnley, another one of the teams that are newly promoted in their opening three games. And obviously, Newcastle were beaten by Liverpool, as we record this on Sunday evening. So um, that's that's sort of my view to begin with. Um, Both you, Toby, and you, Andy, were at the game not far away from where I was in the ground, so you pretty much saw exactly what I saw. What do you make of it? Um, let, let's start with you, Andy. What, what did you make of what you saw today? And I know one thing that you said to me, which was it felt like a, an old-school away end again today mm. after some of the discussions that we've had on here about Wembley and uh, different types of atmospheres at away games. But that felt, more, and I agree with you, by the way, that felt more like an old-school away end. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I still felt as though um, we weren't as loud as we could have been. And I think that's partly due to the configuration that you get these thin all the way along the the side of a pitch um, grounds. So, um, you know, the early kickoff as well means there's a bit less uh, fun juice being uh, absorbed before kickoff. And um, we went through the motions with our normal watching the team at the other end uh, for 45 minutes completely dominate. I think something like 85% uh, 
possession. Um, clearly just waiting for the the egg to crack. And it came with, uh, well, one header, I think, that Haaland had. And then the penalty. And I think we all thought, here we go. This is it. And all it did was create the opposite effect, as it always does. Uh, when a team expecting to be whipped uh, get a break, get a break, whether it's a VAR break or a, a penalty miss, and um, that really changed, I think, the mood of the game for the next for the next period, and gave them a lot of hope. They started to bring us into an arm wrestle. I think they'd already decided they wanted to keep Erling under as much control as they could without taking too many yellow cards. And I just thought that there was probably a few too many sort of uh, sixes and sevens out of tens out there today, rather than anybody really putting themselves forward for, you know, a, a sterling performance. And um, I think that perhaps it was, it was in the end, I think, important that we got ahead. Didn't, didn't last. Um, I think that Kyle can hold his head up high after his huge mistake because for the rest of the game, he showed what character of a player he is in bringing us back into the game and being pretty much involved in two glorious chances as well as Foden. I think that substitution was key in order to give us a chance to to, to, to put it to bed. And what a strike from Rodri from a... a a misplaced pass from Phil Foden. In the end, it was just the just the tonic, really. And again, that's about having the character. And I think we've seen probably at St James's Park today another example of that. Um, later on, uh, caught the end of it after getting home. And I think that's um, that's an important thing that these teams who are able to do that have been around, uh, and the, and the newcomers, uh, the so called newcomers, have, have got to learn that. I thought Sheffield United did all they could do. Um, and um, our, our cheese, we're the champions for a reason. And I think we you showed You that. mentioned about the, the, you know, the yellow cards and um, perhaps making, you know, so much attention on Al up front. Um, Harland, Erling Harland, I should say. But it was, it was Jack Grealish that was drawing the fouls. I mean, I, mm. I made it at least three, possibly four players were booked purely for their tackles on Jack Grealish. Now, as a City fan, I suppose I should be saying that's because Jack Grealish causes so many problems and no wonder he gets fouled because he's so dangerous. But the other side of that argument would be that he seems to look <laughs> to go down to me and he also looks to try and get the, the opponents booked. Unfortunately, I don't like to see it, but he does. Um, am I wrong for saying that? Is, is that uh, something that you would see as well? I think before he joined us, he was by some distance the most fouled player in the Premier League playing for Aston Villary. And I don't think it's a, a thing that he's developed playing at Man City. Uh, so it's his game, it's his style. Um, and, and most of them look actually to be genuine uh, attempts to stop him through illegal means. So I don't think he can be accused. But unfortunately, it looks a little bit like he's going down easily. But when you when you when you're looking at the actual, uh, it's a bit like the kid at school. You just want to hack down because he's too good, and um, it frustrates. It frustrates. I'm sure defenders, as it as it does us as as spectators, 
that he can be very lateral in the way he runs and, you know, when, when to step in. Um, sometimes they're not quite sure and I think he's got them beat in that regard. So, no, I don't think it's unfair. I think he's he's playing the game genuinely and uh, if he picks up a few free kicks, great. I just wish we knew what we were going to do when we won a free kick because I thought today that was one part of our game where it really was, it was, it was really poor apart from one free kick that Alvarez uh, made the keeper pull a save off. I think the set pieces today, frankly, were dreadful. Corners and uh, and free kicks were were poor today. So I think there's some work to do if we're playing against teams where you know we're going to have chances because we're up the field, we have corners, and there are going to be free kicks. I think we could make more of that. I think that's one of the things today that I took away is a must do better. What did you draw from that game, Toby? I mean, I don't know if you saw what I saw, but I saw Alfie Harland, Erling's dad. Uh, in the away end, uh, walking on the concourse below and all the fans singing, there's only one Alfie Harland. And if you don't believe me, have a look at the vlog because uh, I captured that point as he walked past. He was in there in the middle of all that. I don't know if you saw that, but what did you make of the, the game generally? I saw Alfie um, before, actually, when he when he was walking into the away end, but I knew he was there. Um, but I, I think you guys pretty much summed it up pretty well. I think we weren't at our best today. Uh, I think that was pretty abundantly clear um I said after the game I, I called my dad after I, I left the stadium and I said how, how many chances did we need to have in that game to, to wrap it up um it just seemed like you know the, the amount of chances that kept going over over the goal with just uh, over the top of the bar was just was just crazy you know and you know you get the likes of, of Walker and <clears throat> and Rodri and and Alvarez all of them just just trying these shots from outside the box and all just going over the bar and and just just, just yeah just a, a cascade of missed chances really um one of our best uh, like Andy said the set pieces today where I just have no idea what if we've been training on them what what where that's gone wrong but they were just shocking today really is that um, the absence of Riyad Mahrez and and Gundogan because it seems to be Alvarez who was Taking and, those free kicks today, didn't, didn't it? Well, and De Bruyne as well. Um, you know, you you have got, you know, at the end of the day, th- th- those those three players are the the three main, well, the three main um set piece takers in the team. You know, De Bruyne was the was probably the 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 the, the free kick taker from outside the box, the one that I like Alvarez took. I mean, Alvarez, as Andy said, forced a good save. Um, but De Bruyne is out. Mares as well takes some of the corners. Gundogan, same thing. So you take those players out of the team, and suddenly you've got to redesign and, and rework the way you do those set pieces and that takes time uh, and that showed today um quite a lot uh so i think that's something that they they need to work on um thankfully now we've got one game and then an international break so we've got time to work on that you know and and what's important really and we can't forget this is we got the three points we weren't great we we missed chances we missed opportunities we could have had that ga- game wrapped up and we, we we didn't need the the heart attack in the last 10 minutes um but we got the three points and, you know, we're the only team that have, have, have got nine um, out of three games so far. So that's, what's important really. Um, Harlan today, I'm, I'm, I'm quite liking the way he's playing Harlan and Alvarez. Um, Cause although I, I don't think Alvarez was amazing today. Um, Harlan seems to drag so many defenders towards him. You know, there was one, there was one chance in the first half where um, I can't remember if it might have been Carl Walker out on the right-hand side, put a ball in and Harlan was at the back post and he had two defenders on him and Alvarez was standing in the middle unmarked. And if that ball had got over the defender 
Alvarez was, I mean, that was a, that was a goal. He, all he had to do was, was direct that in um, because he was standing alone. So Han is seeming to drag, as we know, these defenders out. And maybe this is how he's going to play um, Alvarez this season as, as a two, uh, especially with De Bruyne now injured as well, um, is Haaland drags the, the players towards him. And yes, he'll still get goals because we know what he's like. You know, um, almost that, like that fox in the box type thing. Um, Pedder at the back post, that all that type of thing. But then Alvarez is getting so much space and so much success. The other thing I'd say, as soon as Phil Foden came on, that game changed. He, I, I find it so frustrating how he plays him on the wing because every time he plays through the middle, he is unbelievable. That little turn he does, that little turn he did in against Newcastle, the one he did in Istanbul, is just unstoppable. He's amazing when he plays through the middle. He knows that position, and he and he was he he was when he started almost like a De Bruyne, a, a, an attacking midfielder. And then last few seasons, Pep's putting on the wing, and in my opinion, he's nowhere near as as effective, and he's not utilizing his skills out on the wing as much as he does in the center um so yeah a, a lot to take from the game and then the one thing that i really do want to say is can we talk about rodri um I, i've said this multiple times to a couple of my mates um what more as a midfielder what more does rodri have to do to be in contention for the ballon d'or because you can't as you can't the only thing i can think of is score the amount of goals that Haaland does and he's not going to do that because he's a defensive midfielder. He's the best of a defensive midfielder in the world, in my opinion. He doesn't he doesn't score a, a goal when we're five nil up. He scores the absolute crucial goals all the time. I can I can sit here until ten o'clock listing them. You know, we're talking the the the, the one today, Istanbul. Arsenal when we won 2-1 and that effectively won us the league because we, we were one, one point. I mean, the, the goals he scores, and it's not just that. The way he controls the midfield is unbelievable. I, I honestly, I think Haaland will win the Ballon d'Or. I think he deserves to. But if we don't have two, three players in the top five of the Ballon d'Or, it's a complete farce because he he deserves it. He's he's immense. He's so good. Um in my opinion, maybe I'll get a, maybe 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 I'll get a bit of backlash for this one, but I think he's better than Fernandinho ever was for Man City. I think he's incredible. I think the way he controls the ball, the way he controls the midfield. You know, we talk about when a few years ago when Kante was in that Chelsea midfield and they won the ball back on average after about eleven or twelve seconds across the whole season. It was mentally, it was such a and he was such a huge part of that. He controlled the midfield. That's what Rodri's doing. He's so, he's so, so good, so controlled, so calm, and he's so consistent as well. He never drops lower than an 8 out of 10. And I just think that needs to be recognised. Brilliantly said that. Um, I mean, I was going to bring up that very subject, so you you beat me to it, but I've got no problem <laughs> with that. And, uh, and what you've said, I'd agree with. I mean, if you go back on some of the old podcasts that we've done, um, I can't deny that when he first came to City, I was a little hesitant I thought he was a little slow on the turn and uh, comparing him to Fernandinho, which you've done, um, I thought his defensive qualities were not as good. However, he's brilliant two-footed. He's definitely improved. In that game that you've just talked about now, he was, in my opinion, City's best player by a street. Um, it felt like he was the only one that had any goal threat. He had several attempts that missed the target, um, some of them horrendously, some of them not by very much at all. And it didn't surprise me at all when he got the goal. And I think with the absence of Kevin De Bruyne and the absence of Ilkay Gundogan, the real genius creative midfielders that were in the team last season and at the moment are absent because obviously one's gone and the other's injured, it felt like in that game at Sheffield United, 
Rodri was the key player until, as you say, on came Phil Foden and added a, a little bit of a, a different dimension. I thought Bernardo, who I'm a big fan of, um, in the position that he's been playing just recently, isn't quite as effective. Everybody's better, I suppose, in these creative roles when they're playing down the middle and everybody can't play down the middle. Um, but Rodri is as that player, that creative player. And I mean, it's the little things he does as well, which I really admire when he's under pressure. That for a big man, he sort of stretches out with his toe and just does enough to find another blue shirt. When he's got the time, he can he can do it beautifully and it's poetry in motion. But when he's in them tight situations, he's still exceptional. And by scoring the goals, you quite rightly highlighted, um, he's adding a different dimension. Now, whether or not he's he's quite the best player in the world, which is what Ballon d'Or is really in a calendar year, that, that that one that I'm you know I'd say it's it's up there to be debated and I wouldn't strongly disagree with it but uh, uh, perhaps he needs to have done that more scored goal more goals as you say being more involved in the creative side consistently through the year but listen City have won everything this year so surely the Ballon d'Or winner comes from City although I have to say if it was possible to give the Ballon d'Or to Pep Guardiola even though he's not playing, that's who I'd give the uh, the Ballon d'Or winner to because it doesn't matter who he brings in. You know, Kovacic, who was a player that was okay and 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 decent at Chelsea, suddenly looks a better player. Um, I, I can't wait to see Doku come on and uh, see what he can do. And obviously, City are linked with with other players, uh, Neves from Wolves, which may happen this week. And you think whoever he brings in, this fella Pep even laying in a bed somewhere on a phone call to uh, his mate Lillo, who was on the bench today, seems to be able to pull the strings and just get this team to do extraordinary things that nobody else could do. But, Andy, let's talk about Rodri. Well, what's your verdict? It's the first line of a song, I believe. Yeah, they were singing it today. I videoed it and, and I've even called the vlog there. If you look on YouTube... You know, let's talk about Rodri. All, just seems very topical. <laughs> all you've said, I agree with. However, today he skied a couple of shots. He did. He did. And, and he was very frustrated about that. So that's sort of setting the standard of where he thinks he needs to be hitting 25 yard shots. Okay. So um, obviously the ones that he seems to be putting in just are just inside the penalty area. So perhaps he's just got his, uh, his, his, his sights in. His, just out. And there's just one part of his game I'm going to just say he needs to improve and it's holding on to the ball. And he got pickpocketed again today a couple of times and we've got players like Ruben Diaz who made a fantastic save uh, when Rodri really did get exposed and Kyle does it from time to time. And that's okay. All I'm saying is let's not get carried away. Um, I think he's brilliant. I love him. I really do. I think there's a real problem of finding anybody else to take minutes off him. And I think that was a problem at the end of the season. He admitted quite honestly that he couldn't do another 60-game season. And I really don't think we've addressed that in terms of confident replacement yet. Maybe that's part of the final pieces of the transfer window in terms of how uh, Guardiola and his team want to fix that because I see that as being a real gap 
in 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 many positions we seem to be able to have uh, players to to slot in. We know we know who the obvious player who was bought to come into that position, and that's Calvin Phillips. But it's very low confidence in him. It seems to to come and start a game like today, and I and I think today was really important that we took three points because, you know, the marker we've laid down after three games, albeit that we played two promoted teams and one supposed challenger, you can only beat what's in front of you. So we're the only team with nine points and that's going to make a few people think, here we go again. And I'm going to expect to see that Fulham parked the bus massively as they obviously did yesterday haven't seen the full game, but they must have uh, really made it difficult for Arsenal. So they're coming to us next week with with that in mind. And I think then what we've got to learn from today is what's the right setup to enable us to break that down. And I'm, I'm not too sure that um, we've got that quite sorted out yet. I think Kovacic is brilliant. I think he's absolutely... And the other Croatian, Vardial, I think they've really settled in nicely. Perhaps the only thing Kovacic isn't doing, which Gundogan does, because I think they're very similar players, is that little run in to the penalty area. It's the only little part where you think he's Gundogan, but he just hasn't sort of got 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 that that sorted yet, and that will come, I think, with 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 just you know time in the team and 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 adapting to the to the to the new situation. So, hey, you know, it's hundred percent record after three games and. I'm very pleased that we we seem to be already early in the season, you know, playing at a high level with with fantastic character. Last week, I think as well, um, you know, we've had we've had an additional competition to play a week last Wednesday. Don't forget the impact that has. So I think you know perhaps having that <laughs> having that week gap isn't a good thing for us. You know, when you think about when we really hit our bootstraps we are playing two you know two games within you know four or five days of each other regularly at that high point in the season and and I think that these sort of you know we'll get to the break and we still haven't dropped the point would be fantastic um so I, I think Rodri honestly don't get me wrong if we're just picking holes there that's the only area where I would say if you were an opponent you'd say you, you know, press him hard because he can he can lose the ball and be pickpocketed. But other than that, I think he's he's an, he's the best number six in the world. Um, I think Pep was a little bit concerned at the beginning of the season that having won the treble, that the players might not be quite as hungry. Um, I think the last the reaction really when Sheffield United equalised today showed me that those players out there have the same hunger. That they had yesterday. I mean, if, if anybody needed that proving, this was the occasion, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think so. No doubt. And um, for me, the the champion of that was Walker. He just decided that he needed to make amends for an error. And the team uh, just came on with more intensity. And we were determined to to you know to finish the game in the right way and it would have been seconds after they scored if Alvarez would have found his shot on target uh, as it was we had to wait another minute and that's not bad so yeah I think you're right I think that shows a desire which is very much there um, you know and 
I don't think they're just settled with what they've achieved last season at all. No, I think it's uh, a little bit new as well. We've changed the team. That's uh, not really showing any any uh, any drop at this stage, considering the two players who've who've gone. Notwithstanding the players who were injured, I think no John Stones. Don't don't underestimate how important Stones was to us last season, and we haven't seen him. Uh, so. Yeah, I think um, you know another day where Edison could have you know read a book, um, apart from a few minutes in the second half. Um, we're dominant, uh, we're comfortable, and we just got to be keeping that going. And I think Sheffield United made a couple of decent substitutions as well, which caused us a little bit of a um, a little bit of a headache. Um, but you'd expect teams to do that when when they're when they're trying to you know get into the game and. Yeah, I think I think we're in good good fettle. The other player that I think we should talk about, you know, yeah, yeah, we've talked about Rodri, and he has been mentioned here. Is Ruben Diaz? He really does seem to be a, a fantastic leader, and the way he glides alongside defenders, he doesn't. He's not crude. He's not. It's not about physicality, though he can show a bit of physicality if he has to. I'm not questioning that. But he has such a clever football brain in the, the way that he organises things and the way that he anticipates things and the positions he takes up in between the man with the ball and the man who he's trying to thread it through to. Um, I think we're starting to see him his exceptional best out with Toby. I mean, he's a, he's a player that um, when I see him in that defence, I have complete reliability on. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I mean, he, I mean that, that even that first season he came in um, when we got to the Champions League final the first time, he was exceptional, um, and we all know that. And he's he's I, I hate to use the commentators' cliche, um, but that that Rolls Royce of a defender, really calm on the ball, really composed, as you say, gliding between defenders, really fit, really fits the system perfectly. And you know, we see how Pep changes. Um, the system so much and how much he's changed the system in the last two years. I mean, I mean, look at it last season. We we had no fullbacks from January onwards last season, and and he adapted to that and almost was like a leader of that. He was almost almost a pivotal part of that. Um, he's so influential to us. And and when when you think when you think, oh, we've got a player one on one on goal, um, and he's and he's the player. He's the defender there. You know he'll always put a tackle in, and he doesn't make those big mistakes. He doesn't, you know, not not very often anyway. It's quite a almost like a Halley's comet when he makes a big mistake. Um, and it's so, you know, what one of the big things under Pep before he came in was was we we lacked and we spent so much money on trying to bring in a defender that would be that be what he is that calm, composed leader at the back. Um, and, I love the way it goes around different players as well, like. Yeah. I'm sure he was the first one to Erling Haaland when when the penalty didn't go in, you know, and he sort of it, it, it feels like to me the natural captain of that team. I I agree, and you see him before the game as well. I, um, I don't know. I, honestly, I, I haven't seen him do it this season. I haven't watched him do it this season. Um, I haven't looked out for it. But you see him when in the training just before they go in, he goes and gives them all a, a high five and a hug and everything. And you and, and like like you say, he almost feels like the natural leader, the one who's who's pushing them all on and the one to pick them back up. Uh, when they're down um, and so but you need players like that and and you know to say he's a future captain of this team I think 
I don't I don't think that's absurd. I think some people would like to see the idea of Phil Foden being the captain of the team one day. And I can see why. I can understand all the reasons. But for me, it's got to be it's got to be Ruben Diaz. Um, he's just, he, as you say, he's that natural leader. He's it's, it's just the aura about him. It's the it's the way he is. It's the the, uh, you know, you look at Van Dyke at Liverpool. I can't believe he wasn't captain before this year, to be honest, because of how how he is as a player. You know, he's the 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 the, the sureness at the back. Um, and I think defenders naturally should be the um, be the captains because they they've got that that security and especially the really good ones like Diaz as well. I think we've been really lucky with him. But but then I guess we we say lucky because as I say we spent so much money trying to invest into that position and trying to find that player and and we did eventually. And now you look at Guardiola as well, who's come in. He looked, I, you know, he wasn't nothing outstanding today, but he's getting used to a new team. So I can't. I'm not going to criticise him too early, but if he can learn off Diaz and adapt to him, and that that could become an incredible centre back pairing. Uh, on Friday, I popped down to Main Road because it was a hundred years since the the first match was played at Main Road. Ironically, against Sheffield United, ironically a two-one victory. Ironically, the home team missed a penalty in the game. So it was almost as if the whole script was was written. Um, I mean, I know Andy well enough to know, and especially because uh, he, he's a little older than you are, Toby, that he has a, you know... Just a, just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, just uh, but he has a desire <laughs> to, to honour the sort of history. Um, how much does that mean to you, Andy, first of all, that, that, you know, that we as fans always remember the roots, you know, but the fans still sing, you know, we're City from Main Road, don't they? So it's even the young ones get it, I think, don't they? Yeah, I, I'm, I've been following the Gary James thing uh, online about, you know, 100 days to the to the 100 years. And um, yeah, I think that Main Road will always be, for those of us who were lucky enough to enjoy time watching City in good days and bad days there, your spiritual home, um, and that will eventually pass in time, of course. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a, you know, we're City from Main Road and nothing will change that. Um, I don't think we'll ever sing a song about being from the Etihad, uh, at least not while I'm, I'm alive. It's... Uh, it's unthinkable, and yeah, you do, you do see the younger younger guys coming through, kind of following that sort of passionate singing about the history and about you know maybe rivalry as well against the other Manchester team that seems to follow on through uh, the generation despite the fact they haven't won anything for of, of any note for a decade. I just thought I'd mention that. And by the way, if you you watch the vlog today, you'll find out if you I didn't know this before today. I looked it all up. Sheffield United, as well as having been at Bramall Lane for a long, long time, uh, actually were the first team in the world ever to be called United. Oh. There you go. I didn't know that yourself, did you? No, no, that's the first for me. I, I even learned today from your mate Charlie that he used to go and watch City there when it used to be a cricket ground. No, yeah. I don't qualify for being that old, so maybe you do. But uh, yeah, that's that's a new one for me as well. But I, I like Bramall Lane. Um, I think it was what, three years ago we were last there. Um, I always feel as though it's a an easy ground to get in and out of as well, which is always helpful. Um, so you know, there's no early early darts there. It's a it's a good 
good ground. The fans are, are pretty uh, up for their team. And as 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 you know, we've uh, we've had to fight for that today. Um, so yeah, I hope they're a team that are still around next season. Um, although I think they've got a battle on their hands to to stay up, um, notwithstanding their other teams who who are probably already in that list of of four or five candidates. Um, but I suppose really at our end of the league, we're starting to already start to try and identify the teams that are going to be the the the, the, the contenders together with us, because we can say that has been, without being arrogant, the first or second team now for the best part of 10 years in the league. And I think only one season we dropped down to fourth. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who actually um, has the... Not, it's, we're not going to know that until later in the year. No, no point in winning the Christmas Cup because there's uh, there's one team who's done that, and and they're they're excited today because they turned Newcastle over with ten men. So, yeah, I think uh, main road for me. Thinking about you know knowing we're going to have a former City player who played at main road for the club on tonight. You, you go back and, and and think about you know the. The, the days that we enjoyed there of being relegated as part of my main road uh, memories and and that was dreadful and you know being 2-0 down at Wembley which would have been pertinent uh, today was also a terrible feeling uh, against Gillingham so you know those days I hope I never feel, feel again to be honest, uh, but that but they're there in the history bank and in the character that that, that makes us what we are. Well said. Um, now the Champions League draw is going to be made this week, um, and you mentioned there about ease of access at Sheffield United, and I know that you were also a little bit concerned of who City could draw in the Champions League. Um, and I'm guessing Red Star Belgrade mm-hmm. are in pot three of the team. Mm-hmm. You want to avoid just for for the people who don't know. I mean, this hasn't been fully sad, decided yet. Who's in what pot? Because there's some second legs of qualifiers to come this week. But we're in pot one. City are in pot one, along with Sevilla as the UEFA Europa League winners. Barcelona, Napoli, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain, Benfica, and Feyenoord. So City can't play any of them teams. They will play though either Real Madrid. United are in that pot. Obviously, they can't play United because they're English. Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, Red Bulls, Leipzig, Porto and Arsenal, who City can't play. So it's six teams there. Real, Inter Milan, Dortmund, Madrid, Leipzig, Porto. Who do you fancy out of that uh, pot, Toby? I know you're a regular traveller to European games. so um... Um, Just out of pure bias to myself, really, um, I kind of hope we get Inter Milan. Uh... They're knocking down the San Siro at the end of the season. So I, I really want the opportunity. And I think even if we don't draw them, I think I'll try and go 
just for a game there, just because I think that's one of those bucket list stadiums. And I think a lot of people will agree if you've done it. I've never, I've never been there before. So I'd really, I'd really love the opportunity. And I was, I was really hoping that we'd get them in the Champions League last season. And we did, but it was, it was the final by the time we got them. Um, and that was a very memorable one. Um, and yeah, maybe it'll be a bit of nostalgia as well if we play them, That you know, just looking back on winning the Champions League as well. Um, so that's, that's, that's who I'd like from there. I think, we, I think literally we played all of those teams that we've that have been there in the last in recent history. I think we we had Dortmund last year. We've had Real Madrid over the last few seasons. We had Porto a few seasons ago. Who else was in that pot? Atletico a couple of seasons ago. Leipzig last season. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. I think that's just. I think that's one of the regulars. Inter Milan for that one for me. What about you, Andy? Who do you want out of that pot? I don't want Inter Milan. I've done the San Siro when we played Atalanta. It's a dreadful walk, and it's <laughs> all the way up to the top there in the spiral. I think it's a 30-minute walk. So uh, I don't care if the San Siro uh, ever sees my footprints again. By the way, by the way, they keep having a stay of execution for the San Siro. So don't be surprised if uh, they're still playing there in three or four years from now. But That's nailed on for me. It's Porto every day. Uh, never mind the fact we lost the final there. We've won one now, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, great, great memories of the first time we played there in the Europa League and a bit of warmth in the, in the autumn would be nice. So Porto would be my choice there. Right, pot three seems to be fairly clear, although notice there's a couple of asterisks against a couple of the teams, those teams being Real Sociedad and Celtic. I don't know if that means they could drop into pot four, depending on who wins those playoff games, but at the moment, that pot is Shakhtar Donetsk, obviously they're from Ukraine, Salzburg, AC Milan, Lazio, Red Star Belgrade, Sociedad, Celtic, and one of the two be confirmed. Anybody fancying that? By the way, I never answered that um, that one before. I'd, I'd have definitely have um, Borussia Dortmund for selfish reasons, because I've got family in northern Germany, and that would be a a nice trip for me. So uh, we're all being selfish here. Yeah. In a footballing sense, I, I don't think there's an awful lot of difference between that group. Ironically, Inter Milan would be the team I'd, I'd feel most confident of beating. But mm. anyway, what about pot three? Toby? Uh, well, for logistical side of things, Celtic would be nice. I've never been there before, actually, as well. I'd, I'd like Trust to... wise it would as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, logistical side of things then. But then, who else was in that pot? So, would you say Salzburg? Yeah, um, Salzburg, AC Milan. So, there's your see, again. See, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, if we ended up getting Real Madrid in the other one, <laughs> AC Milan, yeah, for the San Siro again. Um, to That's be honest... Enough. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, right? I used to sit here before these these draws, um, and be a bit nervous, and you know, you get worried for the Champions League season, and then you know, you get in the build up, and uh, you get the whole oh, our city gonna 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 do it this time, all this rubbish, and this time because we've won it now, maybe maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, maybe I'm wrong for having this opinion, but this time I really don't care because I think whoever we get, we beat. I think you know we, we've shown that we can be consistent across that that competition now, especially in the group stages. We conceded just three goals across the entirety of the Champions League last season. Only one of them was in the groups. So uh, honestly, whoever we get, I think will beat. Um, and even if we don't, we've won it already. 
and it'll be great to win it again. It's at Wembley, don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd love to be there again and I'd love to win it again. But I think the pressure now, it feels so much, so nice to go into these draws and go into these games with the pressure gone and there being no, no, oh, we need to get an easy group here so we've got a better chance so we, we can get this burden off our back. This is the last year, of course, that the uh, Champions League is in this format. Uh, next year, there'll be four home games, four away games against different teams, as I understand it. And you will be able to draw somebody from pot one, the same pot that you're in. So the whole tournament's going to feel very different next year. Uh, I should mention before Andy comes in and makes his selections that Union Berlin and Long at the moment are in pot four. But well, I think that's... There's several teams that are to be confirmed after the uh, the matches this week. So we can't really nail it down, but um, Salzburg, I'd love to go to Austria. I love Salzburg. Such a beautiful place. So that, that would be my choice. Go on, Andy. Yeah, yeah well, Salzburg's not a, a new one for us. But for me, it's convenient for other for, for work reasons. Uh, so, yeah, I do Salzburg. But for me... The only new ones, by the way, are Sociedad and Belgrade, aren't they? And you well, don't want to go to Belgrade. Well, Sociedad, Sociedad, definitely, with the, our connections with uh, El Mago, of course. Uh, and Lazio, I think, are in there as well. Yeah, Lazio, yeah. But, but, of course, Rangers is the one that really, for me, I'd love to get one of the, We've done one of the old firm. Uh, we've been to Celtic. So, I think, for me, if it was possible... Um, yeah, Rangers and Real Sociedad would be mine, and I don't want to go back to Belgrade, I've done that with Wales. Well, look, listen, obviously, hopefully, people are listening to this before the draws made. So, this is a very important piece of information that you're going to tell us now. Just oh. just recap your, your experience at Red Star Belgrade. Um, well, unless they've changed things dramatically, which I doubt, the away end is a death trap, and I'm not kidding. Uh, you've got a little door at the top, uh, literally the size of your bathroom door, which everybody's got to filter in through. And that's it. That's the escape as well. There's uh, there's a great big moat and a huge cage, like old school caged area uh, around the away end. Um, you're, you're greeted when your team scores with all kinds of missiles, fireworks and death threats. Um, if if that's if that happens, and um, yeah, then you've got a three or four hour wait after the game until you let out, and then you put on uh, anybody who went to Napoli those style coaches uh, and bust back into the center of uh, Belgrade. You're then met by every taxi driver who wants to rip you off you ever met, um, and the place is closed down. Uh, there's nothing really open late on. Um, so unless that's changed, um, it hasn't got a great appeal, really, for me to go back there. It's an incredible historical Maracanã name stadium. And, um, you know, the players go out for half time and it takes them as long to walk back to the dressing room and come back. So they haven't really got a break. It's a crazy place. Um, so, no, I, I, I don't know if I'll be going to, I can't pronounce the new name, but it's Red Star Belgrade and, that, that'll be one I'll be avoiding. Mm. 
So on that doomy note, um, we'll bring this uh, particular podcast to a conclusion uh, with the aim of doing another one uh, next Sunday evening. Um, so thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to Andy and Toby for being my guests on this podcast. And uh, don't forget to check out the the YouTube channel, uh, the vlog that I've put up there, which hopefully you'll find interesting. Um, and although I don't have uh, an actual sponsor for this particular podcast, I do want to thank motoringoffencelawyers.com, who have come on board as new sponsors of the YouTube vlog this year for their support by giving them a mention on the podcast as well. So thank you to Matthew and the team uh, there for, for their support. And if you do want to reach out and support the podcast, then you know how to do it. Uh, in the meantime, and enjoy the next few days. Uh, the, the games that Andy was bemoaning are not coming thick and fast enough. We'll be coming thick and fast once the international break is over. I can promise you there'll be every three days after that. I know there's another, more, another couple of international breaks, but basically it's non-stop after that. So enjoy it. Enjoy this, this week. Fulham at home at three o'clock on a Saturday, then two weeks without a game before another three o'clock Saturday game at West Ham United, followed by... Another Saturday three o'clock game, although there might be a Champions League game in between. But uh, nevertheless, it's nice, isn't it? And City, top of the table, nine points, three wins out of three, two points clear of everybody else. Isn't it great to be a blue?